With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Zolgad, if you say anything bad about our hockey club, I'm going to come down to the Target Center and tackle you. You know, I, I think Judd's going to take a different approach this morning. Uh, he has uh, he has flushed out his thoughts on the Wild in game show form. Yes, I have. I have, and it's going to be some negative, Kenny, but no. a lot of positive. It's going to be a lot of positive. It better be. A lot of positive. And positive. I'm, I'm watching you, Zolgad. I know you are. You're monitoring me closely. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? We're underway in St. Paul. See if things get feisty early here. They score! Stalled and Niederreiter at 12 seconds in. Minnesota's in front. Doobie, doobie, doobie. Backhander saved by Dubnik. And a sensational save by Dubnik. He robbed Lock twice. Deflected and snatched out of the air by Dubnik. Here's a breakaway chance for Weiss. Save by Mackie and Judd, we are live at Target Center this morning until 1 o'clock in the Fishbowl broadcast booth in the Skyway. So if you're uh, if you're passing through the area, feel free to press your cheeks. Yeah, wave. No, either, just wa- no. either pair of your no, cheeks. No, just wave. Up against do the glass. Do not do that. Paul, do not listen to Phil. Paul Molitor in 15 minutes. Jamal Crawford at 11. But we start with... A, a victory for the Wild last night. All yeah. things uh, systems go for Devin Dubnik and the Wild. Yes, uh, three consecutive wins, and so I'm bringing a new game show type reaction to the Wild's game last night called It's Fixed or Is It? Okay. Because there are still some causes for concern, but I Do need we to need focus game show music for on this? the positive. That's up to you guys. That's a production. That's a production deal. So well, you guys decide. Oh wait a second. You you are the creative director of, okay. of this portion of the bell. So it very much could happen. You haven't that. run any of this by us. So it, you have it, to tell us not. what, what, what do you not. need for the segment. I need your undivided attention. Okay. That's all I need. All right. So let's start with it's fixed. Devin Dubnik now three consecutive shutouts, a franchise record streak uh, that he set last night. 195 minutes and five seconds without giving up a goal. And he has now stopped the past, in the past three games, 106 shots that he's faced. He's been fantastic. Last night he made uh, at least a handful, if not more, spectacular saves. So it's so the goaltending is fixed. So it's fixed. Or is it fixed? Oh, wow. Not a goaltending problem. Wow. The power play was only 0 for 1 last night. But Wild fans, listen to me and listen to me closely. Do not allow the 0 for 1 on the power play not to go without your notice because of this. The power play in the past 11 games is 2 for 34. 2 for 34. It's going to bite you in the butt at some point. So, Devin Dubnik has fixed the goaltending, but the special teams, the power play, 
two for 34 in the past 11 games. So far, this segment fits the classic Judd Zolgad. If you were an author who had a formula, every one of your books would be, here's why the thing that I, you're excited about I'd be rich. is actually I'd be set rich. to doom you. It's fixed! You heard the goal. 12 seconds into the game, Nino Niederreiter tied a franchise record for a home game by giving the Wild a one nothing lead. And that goal came after the Wild in the past two games that it won did not score a goal until the third period. Early offense. It's fixed. Or is it fixed? Wow. No other wow. goal went into the net last night with the goaltender standing between the pipes for the Flyers. They had two empty net goals late in that game. Now, the good news is you broke the streak of six consecutive goals by Jason Zucker when Nino scored. So that's good because well, is that good somebody you else you scored. Want, you don't want Zucker to keep scoring? No, I want, I want other people to score goals. Okay. But here's the potential bad news. Your second line last night consisted of Miko, Tyler Ennis, and Mikhail Granlin, Phil Mackey. Koivu has gone now six games with no points and eight games since he scored a goal. Annis, who was good last night and had five shots on goal but no points, has now gone six games with no points. And the guy they got from Buffalo in the uh, scandela Pominville trade has one point in 13 games played. That's not so good. And Grandland now has in 12 games. And I, do, I don't think that that groin is is in great shape. And, and if still, anybody knows groins, uh, it's yeah, Judd Zolgad. I'm a groin expert. You're a groin but guy. Mikhail Grandland uh, continues to me to... I have a little bit of problems getting going, but he has one goal in 12 games. So that is your, it's fixed or is it? But the good news is the Wild has won three consecutive games. Uh, the Mackey and Judd show is fixed or is it? Dave, what did you think of Judd's unveiling of this new game show, this Wild-related game show? Wow, I mean, it takes his role as Mr. Fix-It to a whole new level. It I was does. very, it, very it, impressed. He's always on brand. Mr. Fix-It. <laughs> All I'm trying to do is say, hey, it's fixed or is it? It's a long season. I just don't want people to get fooled by a brief flurry of three-game excitement, although Dubnik's been fantastic. Uh, Have they passed anybody in the standings yet? Have they passed Chicago? No, uh, they are. After last night, I believe they they passed uh, Colorado. Colorado went into last place in the Central, and they tied Chicago, who plays the Rangers tonight, with 18 points. Okay, so they're second to last. So uh, on pace for uh, for first place by 2025. They'll get there eventually, okay? okay? Don't hurry. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get to the other news uh, from yesterday. An award like this, it's it's certainly a reflection of the organization, um, the work that my coaches and the players put in. Uh, you know, if you win Rookie of the Year, the Cy Young, or the MVP, it's about the player. But this this award, I think, is a lot more about everybody that con- contributed to the Twins having a turnaround season. Paul Molitor, American League Manager of the Year. He will join the show here in about 10 minutes or so. We're downtown Minneapolis targets, and he's going to join via phone. He's doing uh, a lot of national stuff. He's doing some different interviews today, but we're excited to talk to him. And I I would say this. I think it's probably he deserves credit in, in this role in a lot of regards, but how often do we go back and look at the Hall of Fame players or the or the great players who failed as managers, like the Ryan Sandbergs and the Ted Williams, and they just have a really hard time relating and communicating to players who might not be quite as talented as they were, or or who or the game came uh, not quite as naturally to those players. Right. And so his ability to adapt and relate and teach, adapt in terms of working with the new front office, and then teach players who are never going to be in the Hall of Fame and who might not be able to pinpoint the seams on a, on a 3-2 slider as easily as Paul Molitor did. 
Uh, I find that to be impressive. Let me give credit here, though. The, the people that made the right move and and during the course of the uh, 2016 debacle, we, we all said everyone has to go. The poll ads. The poll ads made the right move. They could have easily fired Paul. They could have kept Terry. They fired Terry. They, they brought in a, a new executive structure. They kept Paul, which at the time we all said, are you crazy? So, so you're going to mandate that the new guys keep Paul? In retrospect, the poll ads did the exact... Right thing, right? They well, kept. I, I actually disagree with that, and it's not because of Paul. It's not okay. I, well, so, I think that they, I think that they deserve credit for making moves that actually worked. Well, I actually, to, I totally disagree with that, and it has, and it has nothing to do with Paul because mm-hmm. I think, I think Paul's a solid manager, but I still don't let the poll ads off the hook for hiring a new front office tandem and then not allowing them to pick their own manager. That's a, a to, to me, that's just, it worked out because yes, Paul became the AL manager of the year. But Mickey Calloway might have been available. There was other. I mean, there there were other managerial candidates available. I think Tori Lavello was in his. It was first year with the Diamondbacks, right? So yeah, he got like hired off Tory the Lovello. Boston staff. There are a lot of managers on that level that 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 you could have brought in. So it's not as much a credit to Jim Polad. To me, that move wasn't a genius baseball visionary move. No, but it I'm, was, but I'm it just saying a, it worked. It was a protect what we have move. It was bad process. Listen, I, I still give them credit because at the time I said, you're absolutely crazy. It's not going to work. There, there's going to be a lot of people who don't want this job. And you know what? It worked. I give them credit because ultimately they had said for a long time that Terry had a lifetime job and we all shook our head and said, this is never, ever going to change. And they changed things and... In the end, they they had success there, so they still, okay, they I give him credit. So Jim Polad then stumbled into it. What? But again, well, like, no, was, but I'm just saying I give him credit. It for wasn't that. Jim Polad saying, oh, "Okay, you guys, I I know baseball." It was Jim Polad protecting. Sure, but sort of that. But it's but it still worked out. Um, let, let's move on because we're not going to agree on that. I want to bring up the straw man argument of the day, maybe of the year. Star Tribune columnist Jim Suhan, former regular guest on this show. And I bring this up at the risk of apparently alienating all of the old, crusty, curmudgeonly sports writers in this town, having been blocked by our friend, former friend for me, Patrick yeah, Royce, on Twitter yesterday. Uh-huh. Uh, so this is a column in the Star Tribune today. I'm going to give you the headline and like three paragraphs from it, okay? Ultimate straw man argument here. Suhan, twins almost had to explain why they let... The AL's top manager go. Twins almost had to explain why they fired the best manager in the American League. So Suhan's been painting this picture over the past two months of Falvey and Levine leaving Molitor twisting in the wind unfairly and disrespecting uh, a, a Tony La Russa caliber manager, right? Here's from the column. Had they failed to bring back Molitor, which, by the way, they didn't. They signed him to a three-year contract extension. Mm-hmm. Tuesday would have become one of the more embarrassing days in Twins history. Of course, it wasn't because they didn't, but I digress. Instead, the Twins' recent slew of awards places the onus on Falvey and Levine to perform as well this winter as their best employees did last summer. Last winter, Falvey and Levine had little reason to believe that one big move would resurrect a 103-loss team. They probably anticipated a year of evaluation, followed by the dismissal of Paul Molitor and the beginning of an earnest rebuild. But Molitor sped up the process, saved his job, and prompted dreams. 
By the way, nobody else apparently gets any credit. It's it's 100% Molitor, according to mm-hmm. uh, this penmanship. But he won't be able to win a World Series unless Falvey and Levine... He won't be able to win a World Series unless Falvey and Levine move more aggressively in free agency than they did last month, when the manager of the year found himself in contractual purgatory, twisting in the wind, homeless, without a family... Without anything in his bank account, let me let me reframe this, okay? Let me grab the pen, let me grab the keyboard, let me reframe this, mm-hmm. okay? And I did some, did some writing back in my day for 1500ESPN.com covering the Twins, so let me knock the rust off here and see if I can reframe this column in a way that makes sense. <clears throat> With several hot candidates available, like Gabe Kapler and Mickey Calloway, the Twins did their due diligence following a 103-loss season sneaking into the playoffs after six mostly disastrous years. Doing their due diligence is what we should expect from a top-quality front office. After doing their due diligence, they still decided to bring back Paul Molitor. Is that fair? I think that's fair. I also think the thing about this is, is listen, in my opinion, these guys went into the year saying to Paul, prove yourself. And he did. He completely did. They traded away his closer. He still got his team to play. Now, now, granted, there's a lot of things that went into that equation. Uh, but this was a situation where, you know, if Paul had come come out and they finished third or fourth, he's probably gone too. So the the fact that the but the fact that these guys don't play the old school twins game is going to always bug some people. And listen, we are, as much as we claim in this state that we want to win, we want the Wild to win and we want the Wolves to win, we also want our guys. The Minkiewicz thing is the poster child. How could you fire Doug? Well, hold on a second. We all called for changes. And now they made a change and you can't fire Doug Minkiewicz. So that that column goes back to what we've always known about a, a lot of this town, which is, well, you should make changes, but not ones we don't like. I mean, to piggyback off what you're saying, and I and I totally agree. Like the Minkiewicz thing, so many fans were outraged about Minkiewicz getting let go. And if you were to go and, and pull anyone on the outside looking in, okay, like give me five reasons why they should bring Doug Minkiewicz back. Well, he's gritty, and like good players played for him in the minor leagues, and okay, like. Don't you think that maybe there are more details that we don't know about as a public? And let me add this. With how antiquated and insulated this front office became over the years, why on earth would you criticize Falvey and Levine for coming in and contemplating and then implementing big changes? Like, you you can't have it both ways. You can't want full-scale changes, which is what everybody wanted over a year ago, coming off a 103-loss season, which... In fairness, Molitor was the manager of that team as yes, well. That's what, yeah. And then complain when they make changes or at least do their due diligence. But if you came in with a short list of, all right, this team is a dumpster fire, and I've got five great managerial candidates, including Mickey Calloway, who became the Mets' new manager, and maybe a Gabe Kapler, who's on the rise. He's going to manage the Phillies now. This is a 103-loss team. Like I- I'm going to need the current manager to really prove something. Yes, this season. Exactly. And right. even then, like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go over all the options. I have no problem with that. So 
it's absurd to me. We are, I'm telling you though, we all we always go back to we want changes, we want to win, but don't fire the people that we like. And when you and if you mess with the people that we like, we take that personally, even though we also mandated on the flip side of that equation and statement that we are demanding victories. Yep. That's uh, that's us. That's us as a sports town in a nutshell. That's what this is a very interesting sports town. Because in a lot of sports towns, what you worry about is wins. And you and yes, once in a while, you fall in love with a guy. All right? That happens in every single town. I think we fall in love or we protect our own more than anybody. Yeah. How how dare you I mean, here's do the thing. due diligence coming in and as, evaluating a new organization? As good as, good as, as he was as coach. If I were to if I were to sit you down and you knew nothing about Bud Grant and I was to explain to you just blindly here's how he did and here's how loved and revered he is to this day by the way to this day now you don't know I'm going to ask you how many Super Bowls do you think Bud won well at least After two I, yes exactly <laughs> I'd say two or three yeah. right look at you disrespecting Bud Grant no, but, but, yeah, but I but get that's, your point but that's yeah. us that's us don't mess with the people that we really like even if they're not really all that successful sometimes. Yeah. So that that I don't know. I read that this morning. And I was like, "Come on, man!" Like, the Twins almost made a huge embarrassing. Like, they gave the guy a three-year contract and, extension. Like, let it freaking go. If I'm not mistaken, uh, in the 1990s, at some point on the name that uh, on the day that Davey Johnson won the same exact award, he was fired. Yeah. Well, we went over Baltimore yesterday. Fired him. You so know, like Mark, it's Mark Jackson won 51 games with the Warriors, back to back 47, 51 win seasons, and they they they. Decided that somebody else was going to take over. The Twins decided, Paul Molitor, you're going to stay three years. We're going to talk to Paul Molitor, AL Manager of the Year. None of this is to cast shade upon Paul because he deserves the accolades. I think he's a good manager, and we'll talk to him when we come back. It's Mackie and Judd live at Target Center until 1 o'clock. Mackie and Judd Judd. on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd, we're live downtown Minneapolis today in the Skyway just just above slash outside Target Center. So if you're if you're wandering around the Skyway area, lunch, whatever, if you're working down here, feel free to uh, to pound on the glass like it's like it's a hot. Once again, ring. just wave. Just pound on the glass. No, no, don't do that. Just like it's don't the get too close. Center. Yep. Uh, so the Minnesota Twins made one of the great turnarounds in the history of baseball, which is amazing to say that from 103 losses to. Uh, a postseason game against the Yankees, and Paul Molitor was rewarded yesterday, winning the American League Manager of the Year award. And, and Paul joins us right now. Did you know, Paul? Only two humans in the history of the universe have been Manager of the Year and in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and you're one of those two human beings. Congratulations. Hey, good morning to you guys. I, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, they asked me about that yesterday. There, I, there hasn't really been all that many guys that have found their way into Cooperstown that, you know, elected to stay around in the game either in coaching or manager roles. But, uh, you know, recent history, we had Ryan Sandberg and, you know, you go back to Ted Williams and Yogi and Frank Robinson, of course, I think was, was the other guy to win it. But hard to explain. You know, I think, I think a lot of guys just when they're done playing and they've had those type of careers just move on to different things. But, uh, it's kind of one of those little trivial, uh, anecdotes to, uh, to that selection process yesterday. Hey, Paul, with with a, a guy like Ted, and we, we've seen certainly some Hall of Fame great players get, get this chance, one problem for them has has been the ability to identify with, with the common player because they were so good. Is that tough at times? And, and how much, as you uh, took this job and got into it, did you have to slow yourself down? Because you see tons of things, and we're, we're such a good player, 
How much did you have to adjust your thought process to realize that a lot of guys weren't like you? Well, I, I think that, you know, patience is a huge requirement, uh, whether you're in player development or coaching or managing. I, I think that spending all the time that I did in our organization, being around our players at all the various levels, um, you know, you're, you're trying to make these guys better, you know, both better people, better players, uh, anything that you can do to try to help them see their dreams come through. But, you know, I, I just look at it that I, I, I remind myself every day that this, this is a really hard game. And, uh, you know, you, you would like to see certain things that happen that don't, and you sometimes get a little frustrated. But you remember that that's uh, something that you endured as a player, too. So I, I just think trying to be empathetic and understanding that, the game's not as easy as it might look sometimes when you watch it on television. What's the thing, Paul, about this game that uh, that drives you the most crazy sometimes, that guys that you see and say, I did this well or it should be done well, and right now, as a rule in the game, it's probably not done as successfully as, as you think it should be? Well, you guys know, I mean, there's a lot of things in the game that have changed, but one thing that I've had trouble just accepting and being tolerant towards is, the acceptance of strikeouts. Um, you know, I, I just think that we have got to a point where, hey, everyone's just, they find reasons to, to justify, you know, the pitching's better, there's more home runs, uh, you win the game with a long ball. But, uh, you know, some of the best players in, in the game now are striking out 150 to 190 times. And I think everyone's kind of just accepted that. I, I see what Houston did and their, you know, concerted effort to try to really get better at putting the ball in play with two strikes, and I saw how it paid dividends. So I think that's the one thing that, that really gets gets to me is the fact that, you know, we had eight, nine guys strike over 100 times and nobody thinks too much of it. It, it almost feels like we're going through – when the NBA went through a three-point renaissance five or six years ago – and all of a sudden, like, three-point records were, were being shattered year after year. Sure. Steph Curry just pulling up from 35 feet. It kind of yeah. feels that way with home runs and, and the art of hitting and whether the ball is different or not. I guess, you know, maybe we'll find out someday. But launch angle, and and, and you kind of mentioned it with uh, with the acceptance of strikeouts. Does it feel like with the home run barrage and the velocity uptick in baseball that we're going through kind of a, a new era in some ways, a renaissance? Yeah, I, th I think that we've trended in that direction. I mean, you look at the last 20 to 25 years, you know, first we we, we got through the whole steroid thing, and we, everyone was trying to figure out just how much that impacted the game and how it was played. And and we got back to playing a little bit more of a fundamental game for a short term, and now it's kind of trended back to the home run strikeout. Um, I do think pitching is a part of that, but, you know, to me, there's always a way to make adjustments to give yourself an opportunity. It's just one of those things that you want to keep guys, especially the ones that aren't getting the dividends of the home runs, the guys that aren't hitting the ball over the fence and they're still striking out that much. It, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Paul Molitor, American League Manager of the Year with us here. Mackie and Judd, we're downtown Minneapolis. Uh, how has, so if, if you go back to your different, you know, your different phases of baseball as a Hall of Fame player yeah. and then working with front office and minor league uh, coordinator coach, how has the manager slash front office dynamic, or even like just the field staff and the player relationship with front office, how has that changed over the years? Well, a lot of the changes have come from the increase in, in information and the analytics and the parts of the game that we've learned to uh, break down to, uh, to new depths that, you know, give, give you a little bit better insight to not only your players, but who you're competing against. And, I think the dynamic between front office and, and managers is changing in that regard because there's so much more 
being filtered down on a daily basis that uh, they still give you flexibility and freedom to do your job, but you know that they expect you to be able to handle this information and try to apply it to your team to make it as competitive as possible. If I, if I, could, if I could grant you a wish, Paul, but it's just one um, on the market, go out and sign a top-notch starter or bullpen help, where, where, where would you start? Which would you take? I would I would go the starter route personally. I mean, I I, I believe me, I'm not going to turn down any upgrades in pitching. Whatever we might do, I do know that Derek and Thad are both, you know, very committed to trying to find ways to uh, supplement our pitching and upgrade it. Hopefully, um, whether it's, you know, obviously we still have some hope in our system. Some guys that we feel are, are getting really close to being impact up at the, this level, but either trades or some of the free agents. Um, I, I'd be surprised if we're not somewhat active in trying to find ways to, uh, to change a little, little bit of look at our pitching staff. And hopefully we don't have to go through 36 guys next year, too. <laughs> yeah, that's, so, man, that was... That'd uh, be a good start, Paul. Yeah, that's you're right. Yeah. Do, you, do you guys, I mean, there are some firepower-loaded teams just watching the haymakers that the Dodgers and the Astros threw at each other, yeah. and uh, Indians won. They didn't lose for a month in, in the second half of the year. Do you feel like with the right upgrades, the, you know, if, is it realistic to suggest the Twins can be World Series contenders next season, Paul? Well, I, I think that it will depend on, on how our pitching shapes up. You know, you guys know, you, you know, you watch those games, even though they go until 12, 1 in the morning, the, the, the bridge that we need to find a way to uh, cross over is, is the difference in pitching staffs. I mean, the, the way the guys that, these teams ran out there, whether it was Houston or Cleveland or the Dodgers, uh, they just keep coming. And uh, it, it changes the way guys are able to manage the game. I thought Hinch did a great job of being creative with his staff and finding ways to, you know, use his starters and relief rules and all those type of things. But, yeah, I, I think that if we can find ways to, you know, improve that pitching, obviously you need good health. You need to get a couple surprises some help from your system, maybe a couple of your injured guys come back and contribute, whether it's Hughes or Trevor May and people like that. But, yeah, that, that'll be the big key for us to be able to keep, keep pushing forward and try to get to the next step. I mean, the scary thing watching that World Series and those lineups, you had some of the best pitchers in the world, the, the Clayton Kershaws, the Ken Giles, Kenley Jansons, and they couldn't get outs. You know, I mean, they're throwing 100 miles an hour with off-speed stuff, and they can't get outs against those lineups, and it's not an indictment on those pitchers. That's just kind of the state of, of those teams right now. Yeah, it's impressive when you, when you see that type of velocity coming out of the pen or guys that are starting games and, and to see these guys be able to compete and battle and find ways to still, you know, get big hits and hit the ball over the fence. It just shows you the eliteness of the guys that, that get to that point each and every year. And, uh, you know, we have some our, – our young players are, are tremendously exciting, and we all think that they're, uh, they're heading in the right direction. But we got to find a way to, to give them a little bit more support on the pitching side. You talk, talked about time of game, Paul. Uh, in your mind, are games too long now? And and if so, wh- what are some ideas that that you might have to get them down a, a little yeah. bit? Because it does it does seem that we are going now for three plus hours on a regular regular basis. Yeah, and I don't know how they're going to change that. It's uh, it's concerning because I do think that we lose some of the more casual fans because of lack of action, you know, I think the combination of strikeouts and walks are at an all-time high in terms of percentage of at-bats that result in those two outcomes. And, uh, you know, the, the visits to the pitching mound in the postseason, the change of pitchers, all those things are just creating very, very long games. And if the games are good and 
there's enough to keep you interested. It's one thing, but we all know there's there's many many games that don't have that kind of uh, ability to, to hold your interest. So we got we got to keep finding ways to try to keep our game at a little bit better pace. Uh, another another minute or two here with Paul Molitor, American League Manager of the Year, joining us on Mackie and Judd. And from the outside looking in, uh, it, it I mean the results spoke for themselves for you guys on the field. It looked like. You and the new front office tandem obviously blended well in terms of the results on the field. I, I got to ask you: Did you feel at all disrespected by not getting an extension in the season, or the perception that it took a long time, uh, several days after the year? Was there anything about that process that that rubbed you the wrong way, Paul? Absolutely not. To be honest with you, I I understand um, from the beginning. You know, com- uh, conversing with Derek and Thad last winter, it it was very clear that they were going to spend you know, a good eight to 12 months evaluating our organization from top to bottom. And I was a part of that process. And, you know, I, it's, it's like I told the players at the trade deadline, I, if you're going to worry about what other people are going to do and, and take away from what you need to do yourself, it's, it's not a very good formula for success. So I just let it play out. Um, they had informed me that they were going to just hold off on that. And we stayed in the race. I knew that it would have been a distraction. So, you know, we just, went ahead and finished the season the best way that we could. And then, you know, I was very grateful when it ended the way it did. You know, don't get me wrong, right. but I certainly did hold it against those guys. Hey, Paul, how, how much too, did you have to alter or change your thought process during the course of the year, just as far as what was brought to you information-wise, uh, as far as what was presented from a new train of thought? How yeah. much did, did you end up having to sort of alter things a little bit in how you think about baseball or approach yeah. games? It's not really that you change and who you are and what you think about players and what you think is important, but you just have more resources to, you know, analyze the competition in your own guys and, and be able to make better decisions. So there's no question that the things that were added, you know, influenced how I constructed lineups or, you know, made decisions in game. Um, but yeah, I, I think to that these guys, you know, Derek and Thad, they, they never came down and said, you need to play this guy or this has to go this way and this guy should close and this guy should be your long man. It was, you know, hey, this is the information. Take it, talk to your coaches, and go ahead and try to make the best decisions that you can. Was there one or two things where they they presented ideas early on and you said, that's intriguing. I mean, was was there in, anything that you hadn't thought of previously that got uh, put down in in front of you and and you actually embraced a lot? No, it was something I was looking forward to. I mean, I had heard and talked to other managers and coaches about some things that other teams were doing in terms of things that they had at their disposal that was influencing the way that they used their players or whatever decisions they would make. And, you know, when we hired Jeff Pickler uh, as quality control coach and Jeremy Hefter came in as our advanced scout um, who works in Clubhouse, you know, they were just able to put together, you know, unbelievable information. It was concise. It was easy to interpret and things that I was able to use and apply to our team. So <clears throat> it's hard to get into the, the specifics of that because there were so many things. You know, I got more information on my desk pregame than <laughs> I can't even compare it to the first couple of years, but it was just, you know, it gives you more things to study before the games and, and hopefully the team's better for it. Well, Paul Molitor, we congratulate you, uh, American League Manager of the Year and a big turnaround season for the Twins. And I think we're all looking forward to hot stove season and then spring training in, in a few months. So, well, I, yeah, I appreciate it. You know, just to finalize that, I just said, I said it yesterday, a Manager of the Year 
award is a reflection of a lot of people that made a lot of contributions, and, and I think it was really good for the Minnesota Twins for that to happen. Right on. Thank you, Paul. Great Appreciate stuff, the Paul. time. Thanks, man. Okay, guys. Yeah. Bye. yeah. All right, Paul Molitor. Let's come back. Uh, we went a little long there. It was great stuff from Paul, but let's dive right into uh, Johnny Krasinski from The Athletic now, where you can find his wonderful writings on uh, the Wolves and the Vikings. We'll go inside the Timberwolves, 8 and 5, as we hang out here until 1 o'clock at Target Center. It's Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. It's like Woodstock, except everybody's got their clothes on. <laughs> Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Pocket passes out to the corner to Towns for three. Got another one. Carl Anthony Towns with 18 points and Minnesota back up 18. Man, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride early on for the 8 and 5 Timberwolves. We're hanging out here at Target Center until 1 o'clock. Jamal Crawford scheduled to join the show at the top of the 11 o'clock hour. But John Krasinski's here from The Athletic. Uh, he is a Wolves insider, columnist, writes about the Vikings, too. And we were just talking off microphone about, like, it's hard to know, having not seen top-quality NBA basketball in about 15 years here, okay, uh, is what we're seeing top quality? Should we be panicked about some of the things we're seeing? It's hard to know how to feel about this 8-5 and five start. It, it is, because there, there's only been a few, I would say, a few games. Charlotte, uh, for one, you know, There's there's been a couple others where you thought, Okay, they won Oklahoma City. Um, they won and they really played well. And some of this, some of it is is you know they they haven't been playing great, but they are finding ways to win, which is that's a good sign. I mean, this is a team that forever and ever has found ways to lose at the end of games and close games, and so there's progress there. But there is such a hunger for this team to kind of really take off and start just asserting itself with Towns and Butler and Wiggins and and really just putting the hammer on people. And then also, I think, as we were talking about, any time that they lose a game, there is a PTSD that is coming in <laughs> like, oh, no, these are the old wolves, and here it comes again. There is not a trust yet in right. these wolves, understandably so. We've been cheated on so much. That's exactly honey, right. Well, why, why, why are you in our late yeah, work yeah. today? Yeah. Well, no, 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 but, I really did have to work late, but honey. The, yeah. But the nice, the nice thing, if you're the wolves, is this. It shows that this can be a basketball town yes. and that there's a passion for it. Saturday night, Twitter blew up. Yes. And, and granted, they played, the Wolves played a terrible final quarter. Mm -hmm. They deserve to be hammered for that. But with the way that Twitter, Johnny, went crazy, it shows you that there is this, there is this longing and passion for the basketball team to be good. And you know what? If the Twins lose a similar game, let's say in April or May, yeah, people be sort of. Mad. But this was this was off the charts mad, which in some ways is great because it shows you that the ability is here for this to be a basketball town. Right, because there's been so long that it, the the worst thing you want as a franchise is apathy, right? You want you, 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 the yeah. the worst thing to be is which is where this team had been over the last few years. They lose a game either on the road on the West Coast where it's late and no one's watching anyway, so there's a collective shrug. Or they're at home and they dump a game to Indiana. They don't play well, and people just kind of leave with their eyes glazed over and just and just like, well, boy, I wasted my money here. But what you know, what can you do? Now there is real expectations. There's real disappointment and frustration, and sometimes it's over the top. Clearly, I mean, sometimes it's whoa, 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 back off of the ledge. Things are going to be okay. They're eight and five. They're on track for actually fifty wins. Just calm down a little bit, but. It is really encouraging that people are starting to live and die with basketball in this town again. I mean, with the Gophers as well. And that for so long, it was just an afterthought. It was, 
that man, I, I'm not even barely paying attention, let alone investing anything emotional capital into the outcomes of these games. Now these guys are all in on it, and it may be a little bit more of a fishbowl for the team itself to be in, and there may be some irrationality there. But I think that they will welcome that over what it has been really for the last five or six years. So Johnny K from the Athletic, I need you to help me with Carl Anthony Towns because yeah. I I'm all in on Carl Anthony Towns long term, and he is a wonderful offensive player. I mean, his twenty and ten is so smooth and easy on a nightly basis, and he's knocking down three or four three pointers on you know that game against Utah the other night. But then in Jim Pete, credit to Jim Pete, he does a great job breaking these things down for for the average viewer uh, watching on TV. Defensively, there's times where you just you watch, even as an amateur watching the game, and you're like, "What, what, what are you doing? Why are you?" And Jim Pete pointed out one play where Towns Towns is on his guy low block, uh, you know, ball dribbler gets by defender, and now it's Towns' job to either help or make a decision, stay on your guy, and he picked neither. He just mm-hmm. like drifted off to the baseline, and and there's a dunk, and that stuff happens ten times a night. It seems like. Why is Carl Anthony Towns so spacey on defense? Yeah, it's 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 interesting because he this is not like Kevin Love who does not have the capabilities to be a top shelf defender. He can't jump over a clipboard. Right, yeah. right. So Towns has the abilities and he's smart enough to eventually be an impact player on that end of the court. We've actually seen little stretches where he's blocked shots, he's kind of been in the right position and he really does kind of influence a game that way. And and so the frustration is, when you know he's capable of that, why don't you see it on a more consistent basis? What he has said so far is he's openly admitted that for whatever reason, the, the system that Tibbs has installed has been harder for him to grasp the nuances of so far. So I think right now he's kind of wrestling with how much do I really try and kind of think and... um do the right thing uh, with what Tibbs wants me to do on that end? And how much of it do I need to get to a point where I am playing with more just instinct, with more free and easy and kind of reading what's coming at me and going with where I, I think it should be? And I think right now his instincts are kind of betraying him. And he is not he doesn't have the experience in the league yet to have those instincts be informed and have him push him in the right direction. And so... Some of it is going to take time, but some of it also is going to have to be a point where the two of them have to come together and speak the same language. I don't think they are speaking the same language right now. I don't think it's adversarial, but I do think that they just have not connected yet on the level they need to to uh, bring out that end of things for him. And that's why bringing in Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson and Jamal Crawford and these guys are so important Hopefully they can eventually influence him as well, but it's it's taken a little bit longer than I think people would have expected. Johnny, at what point um, are, are you going to start watching games and say, okay, at at this juncture, this team should be X, Y, or Z. The, th- this team should be yeah. because the one thing is we are eleven games in. Butler is still new. He's struggling with with his shot. There's no doubt about that. You've got guys who are very much still trying to identify their roles at least completely. So at what point do we start to watch games and say, okay, this team should look like this? Yeah, I, I, I said right at the start of the season that I needed at least a month to really kind of kind of get a full evaluation of where the team is headed. Um, that's why uh, you know, if you see over, the, and I've, I've written stories about this, I know you guys have talked about it as well, 
generally outside of the Boston Celtics who are just unbelievable right now with a lot of new faces. Um, when you bring in a, uh, a, a bunch of new faces, it takes a while for this thing to kind of gel and come together. I mean, Cleveland with LeBron both, you know, both times it took a while Miami when LeBron went down there, you know, even golden state kind of went through a few bumps in the road while they're trying to incorporate Durant. And, uh, so it takes, it, it just does take a little bit of time to coalesce. And and so I wanted to give them a month. I don't know what that is, 15, 16 games at least, yep. to let, let these guys come together, figure things out. They are still going through that process. I think if you get into middle December, towards the first of the year, more than 20 games in, and you're still having all of these defensive issues and things, then then it becomes more of a concern about, okay, is it scheme? Is it talent is it is it those kinds of things rather than you know what these guys are just still figuring it out and having and having to play together do you watch this defensive structure and say it's going to work because uh, I, I see i see both sides of, of that i see some, people some say folks it's saying outdated, right? it's outdated it's not going to work Tibbs should Tibbs shouldn't be doing this and then on the flip side you see lots of no it works it just takes time yeah you know i i i have seen stretches where they have played well and made stops but uh i have to admit that I don't know yet if it's going to work, and I. But what I will say is, this uh, this team is the referendum on the Tibbs system because this is what Tibbs wanted. He wanted his guys in here. He went out and handpicked his guys to do the things that he wants to do, both offensively and defensively. I wrote yesterday on the Athletic about Jeff Teague being his point guard. Maybe not everyone would have taken Jeff Teague over Ricky Rubio, but for his system, that's what he wants. And that's going to be the way that it works. So if um, over the course of the year it doesn't work defensively, there is no other thing to blame than it's, it's the coach and it's the system right now. But because he has the talent that he wants and he's running things the way that he wants to do it, to make it work. And so um, uh, we don't know yet, but I, I, I have to believe that with all of the talent on the team from a physical standpoint, with all of the coaching talent that, that Tibbs and Pinckney and Andy Greer and all and Ryan Saunders and these guys have, um, I have to think eventually it's going to come together to get to a point where you're at least middle of the road defensively. You're not, you know, 29th in right. the league, and yeah. you're not the just getting your doors The Cavs are on. the only worst team right now per 100 possessions. Yeah. Uh, John Krasinski, where can people find uh, your work now? The Athletic, tell people if they're not uh, aware of your switch here. Right, so yeah, I moved over from the AP to theathletic.com. Um, it's the Athletic backslash MN for all Minnesota content. You get the Wolf, myself and Britt Robson on the Wolves. I write Vikings, Mike Russo on the Wild. We have a bunch of gopher and, and college hockey stuff as well. You also, if you subscribe... To us, um, you also get Ken Rosenthal on Major League Baseball. You get Stuart Mandel on college football. You get Seth Davis on on college basketball. You get just a ton of great stuff. So, uh, uh, the athletic the backslash mn is where you can kind of start and kind of look around for 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 great content. Awesome. Uh, by the way, I thought Rubio looked great cheering on his team in the second half on that <laughs> game know. the other night. Yeah, three turnovers, one, one one made shot. Good stuff. One for his last like thirty. 20- 
23 or 24 on three from point. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Chucking yeah. him up four percent. He's so. shooting. It's yeah. over again. Hey, well, <laughs> where's Penn Berthy? Well, yeah. Someone find Penn Berthy. <laughs> there it is, though. I mean, you talk about the sky is falling when they lost to Phoenix. Everyone wanted Rubio instead of Teague when they lost to Phoenix because Teague was terrible in that game. Yep. And then it comes right back around where Teague outplayed Rubio. All game, Rubio sat the whole fourth quarter, and now we're all like, oh, everything's fine with Teague. Right, Don't exactly. worry about it. Yeah. Rubio's a train One wreck. for his last 23. Yeah. You're right. Mackie yeah. and Judd, that's John Krasinski from The Athletic. Uh, Vikings prop bets in 10 minutes. Jamal Crawford at the top of the 11 from Target Center. Mackie and Judd are back. Are you ready to kick it up? On 1500 Woo! ESPN. Up for grabs now on 1500 ESPN Rewards. A four-pack of tickets to the 2017 Prep Bowl at U.S. Bank Stadium, courtesy of 45TV. Head to 1500ESPN.com. Click on the stream player to find out how you can be a winner. Gentlemen? Thank you, Dave Harrigan. Uh, Well, this has been a fun first hour so far. Paul Molitor. yeah. John Krasinski with some good information. Let's stay on the Wolves here for just a second because we have Vikings prop bets coming up. Uh, we got Jamal Crawford at 11 o'clock. We got Michael Jr. on the show today. We're going to replay the Paul Molitor interview, which was wide-ranging and uh, and just really good stuff. We'll replay that in the noon for people who are maybe uh, either missed it or want to hear it during their, uh, their noon hour. But the Carl Anthony Towns relationship with Tom Thibodeau is going to be the key to this franchise for as long as those two guys are members of the Timberwolves organization. Mm-hmm. And from what Johnny K was saying... There's a little bit of a disconnect. He said, I wouldn't say that it's that that it's full of animosity, but clearly Towns and Tom Thibodeau, when it comes to defense, aren't really speaking the same language right now. And when you're talking about a 22-year-old kid who's mostly driven and open-minded, it's not like he's a Michael Beasley, Skittles-eating, aloof, no, he's a very hard you know, yeah, he works over-inflated. Hard. Yes. Um, I think that falls more on the coach to make that relationship work, to find a way to get through to Carl Anthony Towns about defense. But this is where it falls on Butler, too, now. I mean, you brought Butler in for for this purpose. I, I think what happened last year was Thibodeau was teaching this master's course, and these kids were all saying, okay, yeah, we really don't get it. So now he, he go, goes out and gets the teaching assistant, which is Butler. So I think what this falls on is Thibodeau, Butler, probably more Jimmy to get through to a guy like Towns. Yeah, so yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and then ultimately that still goes back up to the head coach because like whatever system you're implementing, you know, I'll, I'll uh, use a, a football comparison. Ben McAdoo, week after week with a one-win Giants team, mm-hmm. continues to go out, talk to the media, and basically throw players under the bus. I need guys who want to work. I need guys who want to do this. You can't, un- unless you just have a room full of 53 malcontents, which, you know, if you're also picking the players, then that falls on you. You have to find a way to get through to guys and find what buttons need to be pushed and find yes, out uh, how to how to empower and motivate them. On a person-by-person person basis, you can't yes. do that if you're going to resort to just ripping them because they don't get it and they don't want to try. Well, I mean, maybe there's some of that. I'm not saying it's always 100% on the coach, but mm-hmm. part of your job as a coach is to get through to egotistical professional athletes who might have their own agendas and, and just might need to be communicated with in different ways. And, and maybe, I'm, I'm guessing that Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins have to be communicated with differently than, say, Jimmy Butler. Don't right? you feel like Towns, though? I feel like like when it comes to watching Towns, we've gone through two years of, oh my gosh, this guy is special, he's fantastic, which he is. But I think now we're at that transitional uh, stage where you're not at, where you're expecting him to be great, and you're also expecting him to win and to be great within the confines of the team. I feel like this year, 
I look at Towns' box score, and a lot of times it's really good, and I'm like, I didn't really see that last night. But then, then you see a game like the Jazz game, and he passes the eye test completely. And so I, I think we're also at a point with this guy where he is, where he has been so good now or so special for so long that now you get to that next step, which is, okay, if the box score is impressive but you lose and you don't play defense, it's not that good. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. I mean, ultimately they're 8-5, and five and there's going to be things to iron out. Johnny listed all the teams. We've been listing them too. It, sometimes it takes until December before top – talent can mesh together and maybe even longer than that so but they're eight and five it could be way worse if they were sitting here like three and ten or something yes then it'd be full panic mode uh let's come back three more hours Mackie and judd live at target center today jamal crawford scheduled to join the show around 11 o'clock we have our quarterback cesspool challenge today mike golda jr and vikings prop bets for the week when we come back At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home, or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. 